Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. Looking for a way to build daily prayer discipline? Seen the rise in mindfulness meditation, but not sure if it is possible to meditate in a way that's consistent with your Catholic faith? Just looking for a way to breathe new life into your existing prayer routine? No matter what you're looking for, Hollow is here to help. Hollow is a Catholic prayer and meditation app that helps users deepen their relationship with God through audio-guided contemplative prayer sessions. From meditations on the daily gospel to the rosary to daily examines, Hollow has something for everyone. Hollow is the number one Catholic app in the U.S. It is free to download and has permanently free content, but you can also check out all of the premium sessions for 30 days, risk-free, by signing up at www.hollow.app slash breadbox. Listen. Welcome to Shoot the Shiitake podcast with me, Father Leo, a Catholic priest on a mission to bring people of all different backgrounds together. Even if we disagree with each other, we got to be willing to listen to each other as God does with us and as God expects for us to do. And in this podcast, we're not going to get into the deep and technical things of spirituality or faith, but rather we're going to find out how to make those deep things practical in our life just by listening to each other. And in this conversation, I'm going to get into a deep dish discussion. I'll have the chance to listen to Sister Susan Rose Francoy, who is a sister of St. Joseph of Peace, and she, prior to becoming a nun, was an elected elections official. So she kind of knows what's going on with the election cycle and can give us a little bit of background and more importantly, how to deal with the election anxiety that we're going through, not just for the past four years, but what we're doing currently. So this is certainly a timely topic and I hope it's helpful to you. But if you enjoy this conversation, want to support the Shoot the Shiitake show and the Plate and Grace movement, simply either donate or more importantly and better yet, become part of a member of the Academy. Just go to platinggrace.com, click on Academy, and join one of the tiered memberships because with your donation of a few dollars every month, you're going to get access to an online community that's going to help you in your faith. You're going to get access to premium content and special perks. So platinggrace.com, join the Academy. But for now, we hope you enjoy this conversation, this deepest discussion with former elections official, but now sister of St. Joseph of Peace, Sister Susan Rose Frankoy, as we shoot the shiitake. Welcome back to Shoot the Shiitake with me, Father Leo, for a very timely and necessary conversation with Sister Susan Rose Frankoy, since she is a sister of St. Joseph of Peace, and she's joining me today to talk about elections because we are in the middle of it. As of today, it is November the 6th, and we are in the middle of the craziness. And so, Sister, you were at one point an election official. First of all, 
I know that your parents were in politics and yeah. so you got into it, but what does it take to become an elected, excuse me, an election official? Actually, in my case, it sort of happened by accident. Um, I, I did intentionally go to work for the city government because I wanted to make a difference in the world. I was raised to, to know that we have to contribute to our democratic process. So um, after college, I took the civil service test and the first job that was offered to me was in the city auditor's office in Portland, Oregon. And it just so happens that they manage city elections. So when my um, supervisor retired, they hadn't yet hired his replacement. And in the meantime, they had to have a special election for the city of Portland because there was a vacancy in office. And so because I had been interested and because I had helped him, they asked me if I would be willing to step into his shoes and manage that first election. And I uh, loved it. And they uh, eventually made that my full-time position. So okay, and how long did you work in that position? I, I worked for the city for 11 years and I okay. was elections officer for eight years. And so you know what goes on into making an election. And for the past three years, we kept hearing about how there was interference with the election from a foreign government, and now there are claims. Again, it's it's November the 6th, so anything can happen at this point. This is gonna be yeah. a, a time discussion, but now we're hearing the same thing from the other side about there being some sort of interference. Mm -hmm. Is interference a reality in elections, first of all? So the, the thing to know is that we do not have a national system of elections. So that's the first base knowledge that yep. because we have, we're the United States of America, each state has the rights and the responsibility to create a system of free and fair elections to, um, to enshrine the constitutional right that we have to vote. So each state is different, but each state has very carefully crafted election laws and procedures. And they have, um, each state is, is a little different, but I can speak about, like today I was watching um, Fox News and I was watching um, the Secretary of State of Georgia. He is a Republican elected official. And in most states, it's the Secretary of State that is the chief elections officer. But they don't make up the rules. Correct. The legislature Correct. decides on the election law. So their role, whether they're a Republican or a Democrat, is to enforce what those rules are. And then it goes down to county election officials, usually, sometimes city election officials who collaborate with them in the management of the actual election itself. Again, they may be a member of a political party, but they are there to uh, protect the democratic process. So All is there interference then? So could there, there, you don't think that there really is opportunities for interference? So what I can tell you is that when I was uh, elections officer, um, I, I was involved in many contested races. And this was 15 years ago to 20 years ago in a nonpartisan liberal city. And even there, there were feelings that there was interference. Um, there were, there were um, people on the right and people on the left who actually sure. sued me as the city elections officer. I was the main defendant in five lawsuits uh, questioning that there was interference. And in each of those cases, um, all the parties made their claims. And when it came down to it, and I do think I'm a person of integrity, but I also know that all people that really go into election administration are there because they care about our democracy. So when it came down to it, the courts found in every case that 
what the law said was supposed to happen to the to the petitions, to the votes, to the everything was what happened. So, but I guess there my is question not is, why, there's well, not why, then why has there been such talk about it for the past three years? Because we have a divided, politicized country. Okay. And because each side thinks that their side is the moral side and the other side is not. Okay. And we are um, not recognizing that first and foremost, we are American citizens. And we have a democratic process that has worked for over 200 years sure. because we believe in the right of the people. We sure. believe in the responsibility of elected officials to count that. Part of the problem, to be quite honest, is our media spin cycle. Oh, well, that's that's always the case. But so what I want to do is kind of get to the talking points yeah. because these are the things that unfortunately are happening because there is no national system. And, yep. and, and that's a good thing because we it's can't evaluate... Yeah, we can't evaluate the one state to be like the other states. But there are some states that do things more effectively than others, it seems. Well, the, the, the wrench here is the pandemic. So, so many states like Arizona have been voting by mail for two decades. Yep. Uh, the state that I lived in, that I was an elections officer in, was also voting by mail. It was in the transition period while I was there. So voting by mail is tricky when you have, if you have everyone voting by mail, it's easy. But if you have some people voting at the polls and some people voting by mail, it's complicated because you have to make sure, before you count a vote, you have to make sure the person hasn't voted yet. Correct. So they have super complicated elections procedures where, and every state, every state is different, but how I know it worked where I was, was the, um, the you know, when you do a vote by mail, you get your they were talking about naked ballots and why they were a problem, right? The reason why you have the secrecy envelope is that allows the elections office without looking at your vote and counting it to first check that your signature matches your signature on file. And they're trained in signature verification and they have a committee generally that checks the problems that have sure, Democrat sure. and Republican involved. Yep. So that takes time. Part of the, part of the problem is that the American people figured out how to vote in a pandemic. That is what we're not celebrating, that more people than ever voted in this presidential election, even with the pandemic. Sure. It's pretty amazing. Uh, so I guess the, the point is, though, with this new system under mm -hmm. very, under really limited opportunities to explore all of this, could there have been potential for fraud? Um. I would say no. And the reason I would say that is that we knew in March that we were going to have a pandemic of some situation in November. So I'm confident that in every jurisdiction, whether it was a Republican Secretary of State or a Democratic Secretary. Yeah, I don't even care about that. I'm just talking about. And there's also, there's also just, you know, a national network of election officials. So they learn okay. from each from each other. They were working from March until now to get the systems in place. Um, part of the challenge is the political wrench that was thrown in when um, there were partisan reasons why the legislatures tried to say when votes could be counted, when they could be looked at. You know, if, if we just left it to the elections experts, we'd have our results right now. But the policies were written by politicians. Got it. Yeah. Trying yeah, to okay. get an effect. Yeah, pol pol politicians seem to know everything, but they can't even fix their own 
problems in their own amongst their but constituents. I, I think my main talking point would be that because we're in a divided political environment yeah. and we're going to have close elections, they will always go to the courts. That's part of our checks and balances. It's sure. a good thing. It's yeah. a good thing that, and I'll, I'll tell you, and I, I wrote this on, on Twitter the other day, I actually was once apologized to by a campaign manager when he filed the lawsuit against me because he said, this is nothing against you, but we have to do this to fulfill every possibility for our candidate. So whichever candidate reaches 270 first, it will then go to court as it should. And the sides will bring whatever proof they think they have found um, and the courts will decide. And so the election what, officials what, will tell you what the, processes they followed. With the, with the, the, you're saying that there is a full proof against fraud. Now we know that laws are made because men are not angels. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you think that there are desires to mess with ballots? I mean, the stories, the allegations, and I'm mm -hmm. again, I'm just doing the talking points of people literally registering when they're not. There's no checks for us. Like for example, in Maryland, there was no ID requirement. All I had to do was give a name and address and I could have been anybody. I literally could have been anybody if I knew their date of birth and address. And so there was no verification. For me, as someone who takes politics very seriously, because I know it can influence our morality and knowing that there are a lot of deceptions out there, what are the safeguards for all of that? Because you've all been doing it right with mail-ins, right. but a lot of places haven't. So for example, one safeguard that I know of in a lot of jurisdictions, I don't know if it's in everyone, is that between the day you mail out the ballots and the day's ballots are returned, some of those voters will die. I even had a candidate die once during that time period. So most elections offices have a database of death records and of obituaries. And they have some employee whose job is to check before votes are counted that that person is not on that list. So yes, there are deceased persons on the voting rolls because of the delays in, um, you know, in getting them off. So, so that is one way, that's just one example. Another would be, um, the uh, question of, you know, my signature doesn't always look like my signature. I don't know about you, but when I sign my credit card statements for the house food that I go buy for our convent, I write a little quick little scribble, you know? And I think generationally we have a lot of, of different signatures. So if in the initial check, the signature does not match the signature, in many jurisdictions, um, with the approval of the two election observers from the two parties, they contact the voter to verify that that was their vote. So there, there are mechanisms in place and that's part of why it takes time. The other thing to know is the, the true mechanism that's in place in addition to the courts is that in close elections, which there's always um, irregularities for human beings, nothing is going to be perfect. So there's a difference between fraud and an irregularity. When I was elections officer, we definitely had irregularities, but we never had a, and actually that's not true. We did have one case of fraud um, when I was a novice. So I had left city elections office. I had entered the Sisters of St. Joseph of Peace. I was in my canonical year. I had to get a canonical exemption to leave and go back because I was subpoenaed to testify in a court trial against one of the campaign managers who had fraudulently qualified uh, a petition for their candidate um, to, to be on the ballot. What and about that ended up going to jail. What about all the stories of people receiving multiple ballots and literally they can just I mean, 
I've even had ballots sent to my place in, from people who didn't live here anymore. So right. what do we do with all that? Because anything can happen. And of course, the harvesting of ballots, paying people for it. You don't think that this stuff exists? I mean, so I don't want to sound like a conspiracy. It, it is possible to have multiple ballots out there because of, um, let's let's say, um, I don't know why, but let's say, let's say there are multiple ballots. What I do know is that when the ballot comes into the elections office, they check to see if that person has already voted. And if they have, they don't get to vote anymore. So like provisional ballots, that's how you can have multiple ballots one sure. way, is they always check because they have state-of-the-art computer systems. Everything is scanned now. It's all um, digital. Should there they be at least some, hasn't checked. shouldn't there be at least some for federal, federal elections? some sort of federal requirement like ID. I mean, at the very basis, so the an thing ID. Is there are no federal elections. What's happening is, as I, as a New Jersey resident, you as a Maryland resident are electing your electors to the electoral college. You're not actually electing that, you know, it's, it's complicated. We have states' rights. And so um, it's not a bad idea to see if, I don't, I don't know, I'm not an expert in that level of election law and I'm a little mm. rusty on election law in general, That's all right. but um, you know, I've been focusing on other things like the gospel <laughs> instead of that. But uh, I, I do know that laws do change. So like, for example, um, we used to have uh, requirements in some states to have to take a citizenship test before you could register to vote. Now that was actually found by the Supreme Court to be a violation of human rights and targeted um, against people of a certain color or economic class. So the federal courts and the federal laws can be passed to place some requirements, but you also have the state's rights to do what that they wanna do. So it's a, it's a dance that we have in our democracy. What are, what, what are we learning though to improve? Because to be honest with you, it sounds like a lot of election officials wanna defend the system as, no, we got it, we completely got it. But there's always room for improvement. So oh, from just is. a humble point of view, what would be some of those things that should be improved upon well, for so the future? First of all, there totally is room for improvement. And interesting thing to know about me, I was an elections officer before the Gore, Florida, hanging Chad situation in Florida and after. And we learned a lot after that. A lot of things were tightened up. Um, there, That's where elections officials, I think that's probably where they have so much confidence because they have been working since 2002 to make sure that whatever the law says they have to do, like let's say the law has, I have to make sure that you signed, I'm gonna make this up, that you signed in a red pen, okay? Let's say it says, instead of black, let's say you have to use a red pen to, to sign it in. They then will create five checklists and have three people look at it to make sure that every ballot is signed with the red pen. It, it really is incredibly boring and bureaucratic I used to have to go to elections trainings that I had to sign in, I had to sign out, I had to be there where they would read the law to us that had changed. You had to um, really get everything filtered. But, so I'm, I guess a question that I'm asking, I just wanna get some concrete, what yeah. have we learned and what then are some recommendations so that we don't run into something like this again? What would be some good ideas? So I personally am a fan of vote by mail. I think the time has come for that. So I think having a hybrid system is always open to delays and confusion. So if people are gonna vote, granted we had a pandemic this year. So that's why we did the mass switch to voting by mail. But if that seems to be, a, if people like that experience and in most states, no matter what their political leaning is, once they do it, people like it. 
then that would help because it's when you have these multiple different ways of voting and multiple different deadlines that it gets complicated. Another way might be to have a national commission to look at what are the various deadlines in the various jurisdictions and is there a way we could align those so that we don't have this confusion for the electorate that I think in Nevada, if they've mailed their ballot by last Tuesday and it comes by next Thursday, it's still counting. But in Pennsylvania, that is today, is the last day. So it's it's a, a very confusing situation. And the other thing I think is some education. The vote is not final until the vote is final. So part, when I said the media is part of the problem, that's what happened in Florida. You know, it's been declared by everybody that the TV stations declared the winner too soon and it caused other people not to vote and then you have the hanging chats. Well, um, that's what's happening right now. People think that on election night, you know who won. And as the elections official, I know that I never knew who won until the day was done that I was officially ordered to turn it in because you have everybody's vote, if it's legally filled out, needs to be voted. And so you have overseas people who are serving in our military they have a right to be voted for, um, you know? So I, I think if we could start looking at you what know, you, this is really about, it's not a popularity contest. Oh, for sure. But you never, I, I want to see, let me throw it out there. What about IDs? Mm-hmm. Why can't that be a requirement? I mean, that it's, it is a talking point, but for me, as someone who's trying to look at this and say, you know, I need it for everything else. Why couldn't we do it for something that is so inherently American? So again, I don't know about every jurisdiction, but I do know, um, keep in mind, this is your government office that has this record. They have your other government records as well. So I know in many jurisdictions, when they process voter registrations, they cross-check them to make sure that the address is the same, the signature is the same, the date of birth is the same. So they do checks to make sure that there's not um, identity. so, so, So again, that would be something that I'm asking because none of that, for me personally, no one asked for anything. I didn't, I just simply had to sign something and it, no one checked. No, so, but they did check at the elections office. What I'm saying is that the elections office, they cross-check that against their government. So there's office. a lot more stuff happening than, than we don't know. Yes. And so that's why I think education is important. I think that education should not just be on election night or the three election nights that we've had so far. I think um, we need a lot more civic education um, and commitment to the process. In but, something the as, but something as an ID isn't practical? I don't know. Again, I'm not up to date on election law, um, but I, I think it, any idea is worth looking at. Yeah. But I think to look at it in the heat of the moment is not the time to do it. And that's sure. why so much was, I'm convinced that a lot will be learned from this, that these elections officials oh, will for come sure. together at their conventions, just like they did after 2002. Um, you have not heard about a hanging chad since then. Because no. they don't use that anymore. Yeah, my nephew's name is Chad too. So <laughs> I, it was the funniest thing ever. Now, when it comes to a Catholic, because by gosh, this this particular election almost seemed to be who was more in line with the Catholic Church than not. I mean, you saw the debates flying back and forth. And and you know, we're not even getting to that because that's another topic. And I'm glad that we're actually sticking to the point of yeah. just the elections. What do we learn from it? How can we improve upon it? But now, what do we as Catholics, especially if your candidate wins or loses, yep. as, a, as a religious sister yep. and as someone who is involved in politics, mm-hmm. how do you kind of counsel people for one or the other? 
So I think, first of all, we can look at what Catholic means, which is universal. I think Pope Francis with his encyclical is really um, calling us to recognizing that we are brother and sister first. Just like I said, we're not Republican or Democrat, we're American. I, I think that the church has the beautiful teaching of an informed conscience. And I think the bishops, their faithful citizenship letter is such a good tool. But how many people actually read it? How many pastors are actually preaching on it? How many Sunday school classes learn about it? So, so that's one practical thing that I think we all, um, we have so many gifts within our tradition to help us be informed citizens. And whether your candidate wins or loses, as long as you felt like you voted according to your conscience, that I think is, is the litmus test. I don't think any of these scorecards, any of that stuff, I think it's really, was your vote gospel, church, conscience led? But ultimately, what if, because we have such Catholic Twitter just shows you such division that we have, what if in parishes, we could have the conversations about what unites us, about what, what we have in common, about what our hopes and our dreams are for our society and start from there to build up rather than this tearing down that we do based on, on the boxes we've already put ourselves into. So I actually have a lot of hope uh, that we um, as Catholics, we have a, a large presence in this country due to our immigrant background and our immigrant presence and our um, catechesis that we have in our school systems and our hospitals and all of that, the Catholic sister, that's part of our contribution uh, to this country. And we're everywhere. So if we could figure out how to be brother and sister with each other and how to respect one another and find common pathways together, everything would be a lot better. And yeah. I think we can get there. Well, it, it could. I mean, it does take a lot of effort for people to stop certain actions. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I, I think everyone should have the right to speak their opinion mm -hmm. and their experiences. That's just a given. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in the climate that we're in, mm -hmm. currently, it's, it's very hard to even be yourself without facing the retribution of a cancel culture who just kind of want to destroy who yeah. you are because of what you are you know, and uh, it's really unfortunate. So sister, uh, as we're kind of bringing this to a close, what are some of the takeaways that you think Catholics are gonna need? You know, obviously treat each other as brother and sister. A lot of it sounds, as I was reviewing the Fratelli Tutti document with, with my audience, I said, it sounds very pie in the sky, doesn't it? But it is exactly what Jesus said. It's just hard to put into practice. What are some practical things you're going to offer to people to kind of get through these tumultuous times? Yeah. So our community was founded in 1884 to promote peace and family life in church and society. So that first one, family, we all have family members that we maybe don't agree with. And whether it's a blood family member or a church family member. So I think one thing is to really we have gotten used to in the last couple of years of this cancel culture to just like, no, 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 no. I'm not listening to what you have to say because sure, I know I'm very hard wrong. Yeah. So listening with curiosity. So I've never thought of it that way, Father Leo. Why do you feel that way? Um, you know, just truly engaging and listening before we speak and entertaining the possibility with some humility. I think our virtues <laughs> could really help us. And that maybe seems pie in the sky as well. 
but I, I just, I can't imagine that will ever reach healing if the Catholic Church can't heal its own division. Hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly you saw it on Catholic Twitter with bishops in disagreement with each other. There does seem to be a, some passive aggressiveness versus mm -hmm. some, some, <laughs> some just flat out, here's what we believe. And, yep. and, and there's, there's not a good dialogue for sure. I think people are afraid to be mm -hmm. challenged, you know? I mean, yeah. I mean like for example, I mean, sister, respectfully, yeah. for example, when I asked you, could there be fraud? You said, no, there really couldn't be. But when you experience it, you're like, what? Because we're not perfect. But I respect completely how you know that there are systems that are in place and it does prevent it, I think for the most part. In my I think experience, this pandemic has been nuts. Yeah. Yeah. In this my experience, is, I never saw true fraud happen other than the one case that went to court. In I, I would agree with you. I would agree with you, especially since while people will always challenge a certain a certain kind of um, outcome. I mean, mm -hmm. I think part of it is that we were ripe for it. We've been hearing about it for three yeah. ever, actually for four years since the 2016 election, yeah. we were nonstop hearing about it and it just sets people on an agenda. Yeah. But I do think that this pandemic has created opportunities mm -hmm. for the devil to hide in the details or the lack thereof. Yeah. And so it's, it's challenging. So let's speak to that. When people demonize each other, mm -hmm. I mean, Let's talk about that because I think people do it. Like I would be considered yeah. in many ways, in many circles, an arch conservative. Mm -hmm. But when I was among some conservatives, I was considered a liberal. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I just happened to be in an institute that is very much open-minded in many ways. Mm -hmm. But we get along with each other because there's very little competition. Mm -hmm. But demonizing, have you experienced that? So- I don't know if you know this about me, but since the third day of President Trump's administration, I've been tweeting a nonviolent prayer to him every day. And that no, was I my haven't. own personal practice that I decided to do. Um, I ended up getting a little bit of media for it because first of all, people don't understand prayer. So um, I, I get the strangest messages from pro-Trump and anti-Trump people. Sure. So uh, anti-Trump people, how could you vote? How could you pray for him? He's evil. I'm like, okay, first of all, he's not evil. Second of all, even more reason to pray, right? If you actually think that. Sure. From the the and from the pro Trump people, um, you know, uh, my politics are not actually in line with President Trump's politics. And and while I do keep a nonpartisan stance because I am a Catholic religious sister, um, if you follow my Twitter, you'll notice that I am not in line with many of the policy decisions of the, this administration. However, the practice of personally every day as part of my prayer practice getting to a point where i have enough characters that i can send a true genuine peaceful prayer um, for him uh, has transformed me first of all i i feel i've never met the man i don't think i ever will but i feel like i'm in a relationship with him because i've been praying for him all this time sure and just what you said, that you sometimes come across as a liberal. I sometimes come across as a conservative because I pray for the president. Sure. So um, I love our Catholic faith because it, defined, it defies all of the political boxes. I am pro-life and I am a registered Democrat and I am a Catholic. 
And I believe in the consistent ethic of life from the moment of conception until death. So as equally as I am supportive of pregnant women and, um, and against abortion, I am equally <laughs> supportive of prisoners on death row, of um, elderly people. I mean, look at all of the people as, as Pope Francis talked about covert euthanasia in Fratelli Tutti, all of the elderly that died because we don't have the systems to care for them. So, so back to the demonizing question, what has been fascinating is seeing that when I have chosen to see, and, and this is actually a prayer practice I adapted from two of my sisters who are now in heaven, Sister Johanna and Sister Geraldine always prayed for the president and the Congress every day, sure, no matter absolutely. what political party they were. And um, that practice for me has changed how I see the world and how I see other people and being demonized by some people because of how I do that <laughs> and um, made a saint by others because I do that has shown me that really, um, I think the biggest crisis in the world right now, Father Leo, is that many people are walking around not understanding that they are a beloved child of God and so is everyone else. And that's how we're able to demonize people. Really, we're probably even demonizing ourselves on some strange level. If you look at the pornography addictions and all the other things. Sure. Yeah, we treat each other oh. the way we treat ourselves, actually. And that's so, why Jesus says, you know, I give you a new commandment. Love each other the way I love you. Not because you guys stink at it. You're, you're bad at loving yourself. So let me show you how to do it. Now, so, I've got uh, just a couple little questions what? left over uh, as we kind of bring this to some sort of summary here. I do think that uh, there is certainly a need for for more information. Mm -hmm. And people who are watching this are probably going to think, well, then just take a position. And mm -hmm. what do you say to people when we as Catholic representatives, you can tell your opinion and you can certainly say who you are not voting for because of these reasons. Mm -hmm. We can't officially endorse a candidate. I, so never as a sister people will always know which way you lean. Mm -hmm. And that's perfectly fine because right. guess what? Our church is made up of a of a bunch of people, hodgepodge. Yep. How do you maintain that love when you know people disagree with you on something that has become for them a little bit of a religion? Politics. Yeah. Maybe because I come from a political family and, and my mom taught me that it's really, it's not about the votes. It's not about that. It's about at the end of the day, can you be proud of how you acted? And so even if you, um, when I was elections office, just this one quick little story, I was actually, because of the fraud we found, I was demonized in the press and I was named rogue of the week. It was three months before I left to join the convent. And two nice. weeks later, they ran a story with a picture of Sally Field as the flying nun said, can you believe this? Rogue of the week is leaving to enter the convent, you know, as if it's why I did it. Um, but that experience of having been in a scandal where I followed the law, where I did what I thought was best where we found the fraud, but I did allow it to happen, but we did find it. So yes, fraud can happen, but I believe our system is strong enough to catch it. Um, that was really hard for me, but it was such a beautiful way to come out of my secular career into this religious life because I have so much compassion now um, when I see a political figure or a, 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 the whole Me Too movement. I can, I can be rep, I can, disagree vehemently with the horrible actions of an abuser. And I can pray for the person who did that, that they may have peace and conversion of heart, you know? And, and I think for myself, having gone through that experience of a little bit of demonization 
was a gift from God that has helped me um, to just take it to Jesus because he can hold it all. That fascinating conversation with Sister Susan Rose Frankoy, former election official. Now she is a religious sister of the Sisters of St. Joseph of Peace, which is something we so desperately need. Yes, Final question before I let you go, Sister sure. What can I do as a Catholic priest? We don't know each other. I, yeah. I've never met never you. Met. You've never met me. But what can I do to be of help to you? I, well, I think just do what you're doing and be be a presence of um, wisdom and prudence and kindness in all that you do. And that will help me because I'll do that too. And we'll all uh, be part of it. Some days it's easier than others and with certain people because in full disclosure, ladies and gentlemen, we met on Twitter because I saw what looked like someone filling in ballots and she actually tweeted and says, no, that's actually an official process. If some ballots aren't able to be read, they will redo it accordingly and there will be both a Republican and Democrat there to oversee it. I mean, I did not even get into the question of why would they put up boards so that people can't see into mm-hmm. something like that. But you know what? That's something that is beyond my pay grade. Mm-hmm. And and right now, it, you might have an opinion. Go ahead. Let me ask you that opinion. Why would people put a placard so that people can't see inside? Because there are certain parts of the vote counting process that are secret and sacred to protect your identity. And mm-hmm. so it could have been that what they were um, processing right there were people's names and addresses and signatures and dates of birth. And people had taken out, I heard the Secretary of State say, had they had taken out their phones to video that. So then those those people's private information Got would it. have been um, fraudulently shared. So ladies and gentlemen, you can hear, there are reasons for all of this. I don't know if there is a, is a conspiracy to destroy the nation. I think that our country is stronger mm-hmm. than than these things. We are. And, uh, and We are certainly weakened right now because of the division, but I think that there is certainly going to be a takeaway. And when we come back, I'm going to give you my carryout order. What did I learn after having a a discussion with someone from Twitter? And she's one of the few people that actually accepted the invitation. I've had many people (laughs) throw hate my way. I would ask them if they would like to have conversation about their opinions. And they would either just slam me or try to report me (laughs) or they would just not be civil in this conversation you can that, see that is the takeaway we need to be civil with each other at a bare minimum there you got it ladies and gentlemen when i come back i'm going to give you my carryout order i want to thank sister susan rose francoy of the sisters of saint joseph of peace and we'll be back with my carryout order in just a moment and welcome back to shoot the shiitake with me father leo for my carryout order i want to Say thanks to Sister Susan Rose Francoy of the Sisters of St. Joseph of Peace. What an awesome, what a totally awesome congregation sounding name. I mean, because first of all, peace, so totally needed right now. And St. Joseph, he's interesting because he didn't really say anything as recorded in the sacred scripture. So maybe a little bit of silence will be helpful. As a matter of fact, that is a carryout order for anyone And for me particularly, if you're feeling anxiety and being upset about this, that, and the other, a little bit of silence can go a long way. But not just silence where you start hearing all of the the crazy voices, but rather silence and say, God, 
I'm going to put all of this away and I'm just going to focus on you. Tell me what you want to say. And a good way to do that is to buy, just start reading the scriptures and, and just allowing yourself to be immersed in the biblical scenes or in some of the poetry and majesty of the Psalms. So a little bit of silence is going to go a long way. And sister had a quote in her conversation. She says, you know, um, can you be proud of who you are and how you acted? That was because she grew up in a very political family and she was able to, even though she might be leaning one way or the other, she knows that she has to be authentic to herself. She has to be former conscience, but she also has to ask herself, am I proud of how I acted? And let's admit, there are going to be people on both sides of the aisle who should not be proud of how they're acting, whether because they are just demonizing the other and dismissing them as naming such and such, or even destroying property and acting incredibly unjust and, and, and hurting people because you think that you have been offended. These are actions that are not to be proud of. Yeah, will you be able to kind of voice your opinions online? Yeah, and even be a little sarcastic and, and maybe even a little poignant in the way you address it? You're allowed to, but ultimately at the end of the day, are you proud of that? And uh, unfortunately, some people have such deformed consciences that they don't know how to actually um, be proud of good things, and instead they become proud of bad things. But ultimately, my greatest carryout order from this is that that there is a system. It is all, be it far from perfect, completely imperfect. And I was grateful that she was actually willing to say that fraud does happen. On whatever scale, it could happen because we are open to a system right now that is in flux. We are under a pandemic and we are hearing stuff from officials and, and there's a lot of confusion. The media is not helping in any way. For sure, the media isn't helping. But ultimately, we have a system and it's not perfect, but it's one that has lasted through good times and in bad. And if you remember from the 2002 predictions of hanging chads and whatnot, they improved upon it. Maybe this complete screw up is going to lead to something better and more sane. And you, me, we have a responsibility to have faith that even though we are being tested right now, we are one nation under God. But here's my greatest carryout order. We will never be a successful country without God. So if you are in a party that is literally trying to get rid of God actively, then you need to not vote for that person anymore and pray that your party, because you might be a lifelong whatever, you need to pray for your party to raise up good leaders for a country that we believe was intended to be a good force in our world. Those are my carryout orders. I certainly hope that this was helpful to you. I want to thank again our, sis, our, our, our special guest, Sister Susan Rose Francoy of the Sisters of St. Joseph for her time and for sharing with us her experiences. Pretty powerful. I'm going to make sure that I say a prayer for her and ask for her to pray for us and hope that you enjoyed this show. And if you did, make sure that you support us by becoming a tiered member of Plating Grace, the Academy. And there you get access to premium content, special perks, but more importantly, become part of a community that is trying to bring about conversions one conversation at a time. And between now and the next time we shoot the shiitake, stay hungry for God.
Finding someone on an online Catholic dating site shouldn't be like shopping for a blender. So why do most dating sites leave you feeling like you're shopping for a spouse? At Catholic Singles, we connect members through our unique user polls and activities, which help you discover other members and their personalities and interests. Because you're a person, not a profile picture. So stop shopping and start discerning. Trust your love story to the original Catholic dating site and use the promo code BREADBOX at checkout for 20% off at catholicsingles.com.